The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, I want to take and do more of a profile of one of the most interesting political figures of our time. You can see the growing enthusiasm, the growing popularity, the growing record of the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Now, many people hear a little bit about him. Some people know a little bit more about him, but he is a dynamic figure. I happen to live in the state of Florida, and I've seen over the last four years uh, how much he has done for the state, how much he has addressed many of the issues that conservatives are interested in, many of the issues that the general population is interested in, both Republican, Democrats, and even um, the independents, and what he's done in terms of education reform, in terms of um, <clears throat> attacking and going after the woke culture that's out there, the um, the race baiting that's been going on in this country, the divisions of us that has been promoted by much of the uh, ideologues in this country that are trying to create this victim and uh, oppressor mentality, uh, the way people have been trying to sexualize our our children all the way down to kindergarten and before then. Um, our schools are being turned into um, uh, propaganda uh, teachings that are going on. And so he has addressed all that in a very effective way. He's not a divisive individual like uh, President Trump. In fact, he's become probably the number one competitor to President Trump, who has a high popularity among uh, conservatives and Republicans in particular because of the policies that were implemented during the Trump years. Uh, I can tell you that Governor DeSantis likes to approach it much the way Obama used to talk about the no drama Obama. Well, there really is a no drama DeSantis that's going on in the Florida uh, governance. Uh, the legislature is very Republican, so there's not a lot of, of pushback, but there is a unified approach to govern in a logical, common sense way that Governor DeSantis has brought to the forefront. He clearly is the leader. He's not following what our legislature does here in Florida. He is the leader. He sets the tone. He sets the agenda. He gets things done. And that is why Florida is the fastest growing state in the country. Uh, you talk about education of our children and what's been going on there and the Mothers for Education um, have really been at the forefront of all the craziness that's been going on with um, uh, school boards. And he has taken that head on. And you would not believe, I even have grandchildren that are in school here in Florida. And their middle school and high school options are unbelievable. I never would have thought just in the general school system. You've got a regular uh, middle school you have got a, um, a specialized schools like a charter school uh, focuses on math and science. And then you have another school that when you finish it, you would be 
getting um, a two-year college degree along with your high school uh, graduation uh, certification. So uh, kids have all sorts of choices, and they've just recently uh, passed uh, legislation in the last few days, actually, here in uh, at the end of March uh, 2023 that allows the dollars to go wherever the student is. So you can go to private schools, you can go to public schools, you can go to charter schools, you can go to specialized schools. Um, you can go to all sorts of different options here in the state of Florida. So it really is to benefit anybody and everybody in the state to be sure that our children are being taught properly is focus on math and science and education throughout the school in the, the typical three R's we used to call it when I was growing up, reading and writing and arithmetic. Um, he focuses a lot on education. He's been charged with saying, well, you're going to ban books in schools. No, he's not banning books in schools. He's restricting unnecessary pornographic books in schools that teach more about uh, sexuality to kindergarten through third grade, which is ridiculous. Let's get our kids on the basics of what they need to learn about math and science and history and English and those sorts of things. So he's being criticized for that, but that's a badge of honor, as most people would say. So I want to have this discussion with um, uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, much of which he did on a uh, program with uh, Pierce Morgan. Uh, but I think the more people can hear and understand what he was saying, and I'd like to comment on his uh, answers to some of the questions, so let me start off by saying, uh, Governor, you have been doing unbelievable things. Your name is getting out there. More people, not only in the United States, but in the world, are asking more about who is this guy? Who is this Governor DeSantis? Who is Ron DeSantis as a person? And we want to delve into that and find out a little bit more about who he really is. So, Governor, give us a little bit of a background of what's going on there in the state of Florida. Look, I have the privilege of being the governor of one of the most dynamic jurisdictions in the world right now. If you look over the last uh, four or five years, the amount of people that have decided to move uh, to Florida, the, just visit Florida, or even just look to Florida for inspiration has been unlike anything we've seen in the state's history. So uh, we've got a lot of tremendous people here. We've got a lot going on that's positive, and we're not afraid to lead the way. Well, Governor, many people would say that you've governed as a conservative extremist on one side, but on the other side, they're saying you've addressed issues that are uh, done in a very conservative way, but a logical way that meets the needs of all spectrum of people in the political um, uh, uh, thought process, um, that you've done stuff with schools, you've done stuff with um, uh, social issues that are uh, meeting the needs and interests and desires of the um, of the of the right uh, in terms of pro-life legislation, uh, education of our children, pushing back on woke. But you've also done things like, um, uh, you know, police force. It's a it's a state where you've gotten rid of one of the Soros-backed DAs that was not prosecuting uh, criminals, and so on the law and order front, you've met that as well. But I know you've also done things that are normally considered uh, on the left side, uh, but they're really issues that uh, are of interest to Republicans, conservatives, because things like um, the environment that you've worked on and you've been very active in are things that maybe some wouldn't think, at least at the national level where they tend to distort things, they wouldn't think that 
a Republican will be taking on some of the issues that you have. So tell us a little bit more about uh, the types of programs that you've implemented in the state of Florida. I think all that's true. Um, I think, you know, you just think of the environment. We've done more on conservation for our Everglades, but this is like things that really matter to people. I'm not trying to control their lives. I'm just trying to make the environment better. Crime, we're law and order. We are not dealing with letting criminals out or going soft. I actually removed a Soros-backed prosecutor from Tampa who said he wasn't going to follow the law. Uh, COVID, we made sure that we protected people's freedoms. People knew they could come here and do well. And yes, we have no income tax. We have one of the lowest per capita tax burdens in the country, lowest per capita debt burdens in the country, and the largest budget surplus in the history of the state. We have more people, significantly more people employed today than we did pre-COVID. A lot of the lockdown states still haven't gotten back to their pre-COVID employment levels. And so I think what we've done has worked, and I think people have responded positively. Well, Governor, most of the people on the left who have noticed your star is really rising have begun your, the attacks. They see you as a possible presidential candidate and as a possible Republican slash conservative uh, president of the United States governing as such like you've done in Florida and making the kind of education, social, anti-woke, anti-mob um, rule that's going on and, and governing in a much more common sense way as far as I'm concerned. But the knives are coming out. And you've got a lot of people out there who are talking very negatively about you that are typically on the not only on the left, but on the far left, whether it's uh, Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel, the late night host uh, to uh, editors of some of the most liberal uh, magazines out there. How does that make you feel and how do you respond to some of those attacks uh, that are already here and are coming? I think it's right. I think I think they see me over the target. I'm obviously coming at it from a different perspective than they like to see. Those are all people on the on the left and sometimes far left. Um, but here's the thing. I think the reason why I won the biggest landslide in the history of Florida for for governor's race is because that criticism is so far removed from the reality. There's legitimate things we can criticize everybody for, including me. But when you start talking about being an autocrat, all I do is I look at my constitutional powers and I govern in a way to advance the principles that I believe in. I'm passing things through the legislature. That's the constitutional way to do business here. They get mad if we sign legislation, but I'm not just doing it alone. And I would note, they don't have the same criticism of Biden if he does unilateral uh, forgiveness of student loans or some of these other things. So I think a lot of it's misplaced. And I think part of it is like people look and they say, okay, you're saying like all these crazy things. I'm looking at this guy. He makes sense to me. The criticism really falls on deaf ears. And I got it from all quarters for the whole time I was governor. I mean, right. you know, during COVID, I was the number one governor being attacked. And that happened pretty much relentlessly. Well, Governor DeSantis, that issue around COVID and your handling of COVID was under enormous criticism, as you say, relentless criticism um, during the you're opening up the state when others were still closed down, when you were opening up the classrooms to children and you were saying you weren't going to have a COVID passport. Uh, you made sensible, logical, scientific-based decisions that helped the state stay open and the people uh, have their own lives, their own businesses running again. As a resident of Florida, uh, we were out at restaurants being able to go into grocery stores and we weren't wearing masks 90% of the time. And um, we had tourists coming in and renting condos and coming down from all across the country to enjoy 
what we then started to call um, the uh, free state of Florida. How do you um, talk about or address those criticisms and tell us a little bit more about what you did and why you did it? Well, here's the thing. Uh, excess mortality, uh, lowest in the, in the Sun Belt, even lower than New York and California for all-cause excess mortality. And then, of course, economically and freedom, we've done way better. Now, listen, I was very concerned about COVID because I've got more elderly than just about anyone. I've got 4,000 long-term care facilities. I've got condos with seniors stuffed right. in them all across. So this was, And I'm a tourism state. So this was a huge existential threat to Florida. So we took it very seriously. Well, Governor, tell our audience how you felt about the vaccine, because that was a very controversial issue uh, nationally and within each individual state. Well, no, look, I mean, I think that we we thought the vax would end COVID. I think during the Delta wave, even though you had massive vax, you saw a major um, uh, a wave of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so then what I did is I go, OK, the vax isn't stopping the spread. Let's make sure people have treatments. But we took it very seriously. I followed the data, but I also believe that, OK, there's data that you look at, but you also have to trust people to make decisions. This idea that we're going to keep using coercion, I just don't think that that works and is sustainable. So part of it was the science, but part of it was also just a belief in people making their best decisions for themselves. Well, I hope our audience is beginning to understand the thought process and the approach that Governor DeSantis took in Florida to deal with a number of issues. I want to continue with this um uh, delving into who Ron DeSantis is and how he really thinks and how he's applied conservative, logical, common sense principles to the governance of the great state of Florida. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are delving into the governance style, the philosophy, the basic principles, the operational uh, attitudes of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. He is widely thought of as being a leading presidential candidate for the Republican nomination. In some polls, he's running ahead of even Donald Trump. In other polls, he's behind. It's going to be an interesting clash of titans. Uh, Governor DeSantis has done a tremendous job uh, of uh, governing the state of Florida in a very conservative, common-sense way that has gotten the attention of people across this country and, quite honestly, around the world. And the knives are already coming out. You've got people who are attacking his policy, but you also have the typical attack on his personality. Many people have written that Ron DeSantis is boring, that he is um, not able to... Uh, project a, uh, a charismatic, uh, uh, as a charismatic figure 
and he's not really gathering people around him with his personality. It is his policies that have been successful in Florida, but that he does not really have much of an approach to uh, many people. Uh, many people need elite the political class, if you will. So, Governor, give us your take on this persona that's the the narrative that's being developed by uh, some of the in the national media. What's your what's your take on all that? So here's the thing. I think you know th- there is uh, these are people who are in the political class, journalist class, politicians, and like D.C. in particular. They get mad. I don't do the cocktail parties. I don't like rubbing elbows with other people. I like doing my job and then spending time with my family. That's just what I do. A lot of the people that are criticizing, you know, they would say, oh, he doesn't do well with with, with donors. He doesn't glad hand with them. And yet I raise more money than any non-presidential candidate in the history of America. Are you kidding me? So we tend to do, we, we, we do well. But I do think that, you know, I deal better with regular people than I do with some of the people in the political class. And I think that has been true for the entire time I've been been around. Well, Governor, as most presidential candidates, or at least people thinking about running for presidency, have they've written a book. And you've written a book. And you start that book with a quote from Winston Churchill that, uh, in essence, says, courage is the basis of everything else that you do, the policies that you would implement. Because without courage, uh, nothing else uh, follows. And with courage, you can do an enormous amount of good. And that is the basis of um, a a true leader. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe why you chose uh, that to lead into your uh, New York Times number one best-selling book at the moment? Because I think what we, what I've been called upon to do as governor is make the right decisions when it wasn't easy. Uh, and when people tell you politically, I mean, a lot of people thought I was dead a few years ago mm-hmm. because I was charting my different course. And my view is, you know, I got elected to save the jobs of the people I represent. It can't be looking out for my own job. I can't worry about getting criticized. I can't worry about the political fallout. I've got to do what's right, and I've got to stick by that, and I've got to be willing to take the arrows. And I think we need more of that in terms of our leaders now, because when you want to do the right thing with the media environment, social media, all this stuff, it's usually not like people are just like, oh, great, like people come at you, and that's just the price you got to pay for leadership. But I think it's uh, it's an ingredient that's essential. So, Governor, not only do you lead into your book with this quote of courage, uh, by Winston Churchill, but you've got the idea and the the theme of courage throughout your book. Uh, tell our audience out there today, what does courage mean to you? Well, I think it means just willing to pay a price. And I, t- I tell a story about when I used to fly to D.C., you'd fly by the National Mall, look out the left side of the plane, see all the great monuments and the Capitol, big man, how great is our country? But the best monuments are really outside the right side of the plane, over the Potomac River in a place called Arlington National Cemetery. Headstones arranged orderly over those rolling hills. And, and they've made, they made the ultimate sacrifice. And it just shows, this is on the grandest level, you have the best constitution in the world, the best declaration of independence in the world. If you don't have people willing to stand up, risk, and give their lives for that. Now here, what we have to deal with is far less than what they had to give. But you do got to give something. If you're not willing to pay a price to exercise leadership, you ain't going to be a good leader. Well, Governor DeSantis, you know, many say that politics is really a combat sport. 
but it's more than that because they will attack you uh, with very unfounded uh, claims against you personally, uh, not just your policies, but about you, your family, your They'll call you Genghis Khan, Mussolini, Hitler. Uh, they will call you all sorts of names. And I think as people are going to be watching and wondering whether or not uh, you can put up with and that your skin is thick enough, if you will, to um, ignore this, to write it off. Uh, how are you going to address it? Because presidential campaigns of late have been very dirty campaigns with people attacking each other very personally. But I think it reveals them more than it says anything about me. No, honestly, I think if they have to resort to stuff like that, I mean, think about it. Those names, when I'm the state that's the fastest growing and the number one net in migration, if that was true, people would be fleeing Florida and I wouldn't have won by 1.5 million votes. So I think it's that they have trouble really hitting me on substance. And so they got to resort to some of the knee-jerk stuff. So it kind of just confirmation that, that I'm over the target. And look, those voices are, you know, they're on the far left, and they see me basically beating them on a lot of these issues. Well, Governor, we're in this, you know, 24-hour news cycle and, and all the social media areas where anything that happens any given moment or day or time, there's immediately comments on the right or the left ideology. Politics comes into play on almost anything that happens uh, throughout this country at almost every instance uh, with the 24-hour news. How do you uh, keep focused on the things that need to get done? Because you've been very successful in implementing policy after policy when your own state legislature only meets for a limited amount of time each year. But you seem very focused and very scheduled, very organized in trying to identify the problems and issues, offering up solutions, and getting those solutions passed through the Florida legislature. How do you stay so focused on getting things done when there's so much turmoil going on in this country and so much petty bitterness that's also exhibited on social media? I think, like, if you look at the, the daily news cycle all the nonsense that gets the spaghetti that gets thrown up against the wall, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't get, get, get involved with that. Like I have a true north I have to get to on all the issues that I'm trying to do. You either do it or you don't. And that will just kind of take you off course. And so in that sense, the political circus, I don't care for that. And I don't, I don't, why? But I do think in terms of just every day waking up, I mean, I care about making a difference for people. And you've seen it like COVID, education, all these things. People appreciate it. If you're willing to stand up and fight for them, man, they'll walk over broken glass barefoot to, to support you. And that's what we've done. Governor DeSantis, I think one of the big questions that is going to be asked by the political pundit, the journalists, the, the media people out there, both who might be for, and certainly those against you are going to be asking. The big question really is, can you take what you've done in Florida, the policies you've implemented, the approach you've taken, the no drama, um, you know, Tallahassee, that's the, obviously the, uh, the state capital here in Florida where all this occurs and where you reside. Uh, can you take that from the state of Florida and, and take it nationally? Can the whole country benefit from the approach and the successes of what you've done in Florida? How would you address that? Because you know that that's going to be the big issue as to whether or not you can have the same kind of success nationally that you've had at the state level. 
I think you could. I think one of the things that was interesting about my election is the voters in Florida overwhelmingly thought the country was on the wrong track, but they thought Florida was on the right track. Right. So they saw the difference in terms of how things are governed. I mean, just think about it. We run big budget surpluses. The federal government's $31 trillion in debt. We're very tough on crime. Uh, the policies in Washington are, are to be more weak on crime. You know, we believe in, in steward, good stewards of the environment, but I don't want to control everyone's behavior with some of the stuff that's going on. And we have really fought against the woke ideology. Just Republicans that yeah. are concerned. These are across the spectrum to have stuff that, that's being done. People know this isn't, this isn't even in reality. We cannot be governed by a woke agenda. And I would tell you some of these mayors and prosecutors that have gotten elected and, fl- and around the country on that agenda, you know, their societies have decayed as a result of it. San Francisco, some of these places where crime is up. So I think just some common sense, some leadership, some courage, and, and being right on the issues, I think could go a long way. Well, Governor, many of the policy wonks in Washington and even the political junkies like myself uh, across the country uh, are looking at the policies that you implemented and the success of those policies, the acceptance by the population of those policies, how you have presented them and explained them appropriately, how you fought it back against uh, areas like the woke ideology and the um, education of our children, uh, uh, you know, doing more of you know, the gender identity and the CRT issues that are being pushed, how you have uh, pushed back on all those areas and have really defeated uh, the uh, uh, indoctrination of our children. Uh, But there are many other people who also want to know who is this man, who is behind uh, the screen of the politician. Tell us a little bit more about your family and your upbringing uh, that may have established your own basic principles of how you live your life. Tell us about your family, please. So my father was born is from western Pennsylvania in a town called Aliquippa. That's a steel town. His father worked in the steel mills. My mother's from Youngstown, Ohio, another steel town. So this is blue-collar, gritty, uh, religious, patriotic. And so I was born in Florida and grew up in the in the Tampa Bay area, and, and that was a great place to do. But in terms of, like, my household values really reflected that working-class upbringing. And basically what I think instilled in me is, you know, I love the country, trusted God, but just really believed you don't get anything handed to you in this life. You've got to work for it. And so I had a work ethic that I developed in my childhood and that carried me through that, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in this world that you can't control. The one thing you can control, are you going to be able to look in the mirror every day and say, I'm getting the most out of my God-given ability? And that's what I try to do. Growing up, I knew what was right and wrong. That was instilled into me. And that's just something that, that carries with you all the way for the rest of your life. Well, Governor, I can't let this segment end uh, without asking a quick question about uh your likely biggest opponent, Donald Trump, and the problems that are developing in this uh, New York DA district attorney's office and the charges about uh, payments to Stormy Daniel and all that. What's your what's your take on the underlying issues there and uh, how this is being handled or not handled properly? Well, I think it's there's a lot of speculation about what the underlying conduct is that is purported to be it. And, you know, the reality is that's just outside my wheelhouse. I mean, that's just not something that I can speak to. So, uh, you know, I hope it doesn't come to where you end up seeing this going forward. I mean, look, if you are a very strident prosecutor in disguise on the left and you're not prosecuting a lot of crimes, Manhattan's gotten uh, less safe, you're going to go after somebody on the other side for some novel offense 
that just does not inspire confidence, and people see that as weaponizing the justice system. So, so I think it's fundamentally wrong to do that. And um, you know, I just made it be known. But who, you know, we'll see. Maybe it won't come to that. I mean, I, we haven't seen anything firm yet. Well, audience, stay tuned for more of Governor Ron DeSantis' insight to who he is, what his policies are, what his attitudes, basic principles of life. We're going to get into all of that during the next segment. So uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your healthcare freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to this third segment of Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and I'm Ron Bachman. Today, we are talking about Governor Ron DeSantis and the things that he's done, not only in Florida, but the things he's done that have addressed the issues that many governors are facing across the country in terms of education, in terms of the health and welfare and well-being of their citizens, in terms of environmental changes. Uh, but we just finished the last segment talking about the potential conflict between uh, Governor DeSantis and uh, Donald Trump. And so I want to go back to the issue there of character, which many people say is a problem with uh, Donald Trump. They loved his policies, but his character and his his sniping on Twitter and uh, what many think is maybe he's punching below him with issues and people that is unpresidential. Um, Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, has been sort of uh, reflected on the no drama Tallahassee, Florida politics where they just get stuff done and they don't get sidetracked on a lot of personal attacks that might happen from people who disagree with the conservative uh, governing philosophy of the governor. So, let me ask the governor to start off this segment. Does character matter? What is your opinion about the character of a leader and the importance that people have in the in the attitudes and principles uh, that form that individual and the idea that we get back to character matters? I mean, I think at the end of the day, what a leader, you really want to look to people like our founding fathers. Like, what type of character? It's not saying that you don't ever make a mistake in your personal life, but I think what type of character are you bringing? So somebody who really set the standard is George Washington, because he always put the republic over his own personal interests. When we won the American Revolution, Washington surrendered his sword. George III said he's the greatest man in the world if he gives up power. And so I think the personal is more about how you handle your public duties, and, and the kind of character that you bring to that endeavor. Well, Governor, we live in a very strange world, it seems to me, these days, where people don't know what is what is truth, or everybody has their own truth. We talk about disinformation 
and um, you know falsities and lies. Um, uh, how important is truth and getting back to understanding that there's not multiple versions of truth? There may be different opinions, there may be different perspectives, but truth is truth. Um, so how important is getting this concept so that people can believe what is being said, especially by the federal government, uh, that they are in fact telling us the truth? Look, tr- truth is essential. We have to agree that there's a certain reality to the world we live in. And if we can just create our own facts, then we're never going to be able to agree on anything or never really be able to do policy in a way that makes sense. And so, yes, it's not your truth or my truth. It's the truth. Let's take a second and share with our audience some of your educational background. I know you went to Harvard and Yale, and people listening in may uh, uh, may know that uh, those facts about you. But um, you've also said that you came from a very conservative background, uh, and that you may have been uh, one of the only students that came out of that cauldron of liberal. Uh, socialist um, uh, indoctrination that you may have gotten at both of those schools. You came out more conservative than you went in. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences during your college years? Oh, I mean, you know, I wasn't political when I got there because where I came from, I didn't know if you were Republican, Democrat, but definitely like, you know, God, country, those basic things. When I got there, you know, you had a lot of militant leftism. One of Yale's mottos is for God, for country, for Yale. But you get in the classroom, no way. I mean, it was very anti-religion, particularly Christianity, and very anti-Americanism and really adopting a lot of the left-wing mantras of the day. And I kind of rebelled against that because I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I'm proud to be an American. Uh, I wouldn't be here if I if in any other country, perhaps. And so this is something that, that I rejected. And then by the time I got to, to Harvard, I was already set. They weren't going to change me. Well, Governor, you talk about your blue collar background, your, your father and mother uh, and uh, and how they raised you and coming from a, a rural Florida, Florida town, if you will. But. This ideology uh, has been crept into our universities even more since you were there. It's gotten worse. And so the students have got and are teach, being taught only one one set of principles, one ideology that's very left wing. Um, tell us what your feelings are and if anything that you've done in the state of Florida to try to counter this in our uh, institutes of, of higher learning. And it's not good for them because when they get into the real world, their assumptions have never been questioned. Mm. You should want your assumptions questioned. A university is about pursuing truth. It's about rigor and academic integrity and giving people the foundation so they can think for themselves and be citizens of the republic, not to impose ideology. In Florida, we're actually doing something about it. I just appointed a bunch of conservative trustees to New College in Sarasota. They've recategorized the mission to being a classical liberal arts uh, university, and we're working with all of our state universities to ensure that they're not imposing ideology through the bureaucracy. We want there to be free speech on campus. We want the professors to come from a wide variety of viewpoints. You can't have every professor having the same leftist dogma in the class. That's not good education, and it doesn't serve the best interests of the state. So, Governor, tell our audience about this new college teaching classical liberal arts that you've set up. How does that work? How is that different than what we've seen going on in colleges uh, today? Well, so we, when we did the new college thing, there were professors from all across the country uh, contacting some of our new trustees saying, how do I get down there? And these are not all right-wingers. A lot of them are Democrats. But they see this really hostile environment. It's a very intellectually impressive environment. 
And it's like you're walking on eggshells mm. that you could lose your job by making like some verbal faux pas. That is not the road that we want to go down. And it's almost like some of the wokesters, you will pay a bigger price by offending wokeism than if you commit like serious crimes. Why? Other than that, how is that something that makes any sense? Well, Governor, we've talked about your um, attending Yale and Harvard. But when you finished Harvard, you, instead of going and being a, a high-paid lawyer and somebody on Wall Street or joining a big law firm someplace, um, you decided to go into the um, Navy. Um, tell us about why you made that decision and how has that impacted uh, your interest in public service? A lot of that was, you know, in the wake of 9-11. The world had changed. You know, I was growing up in like the 90s and high school and then in college, graduated before 9-11. Our country didn't have a care in the world. The Cold War was over. There was prosperity. And people weren't even thinking of that. And then when the towers fell, it just, it changed uh, my outlook. And I know we didn't have a draft or any of that, but I was like, look, you know, I should be willing to, to, to help out here and I'll have time to do other things in my life. And so, so we ended up volunteering. We did the Navy. And at that time, I didn't know what I was in store for, but I ended up doing a lot of stuff around the country and around the world, including uh, being in Iraq. And it was really, really valuable experience. I mean, when you, when you wear the cloth of your country, that's meaningful service. And the people that you meet along the way are great. Uh, but there's just a lot, you know, Jack Kennedy said uh, people can lo- look back on their life with a great deal of satisfaction and say, I served in the U.S. Navy. And I agree with them. So, Governor DeSantis, you are one of those folks who are really impacted by 9-11 in that you it, it raised your interest in public service and being patriotic and giving back to the country instead of just focusing on your own um, career path that might have been more financially successful. So you joined the Navy. Where were you on 9-11 when this made such an impact on you? You know, I was, um, uh, I think I had just graduated college and was kind of not a care in the world. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, it happened. And so I had already been either accepted or planning on going to law school. And that's when I decided to start looking into some other, other uh, career choices. So, Governor, the outcome of that 9-11 event, the attack on the uh, World Trade Center, uh, spawned a number of um, military activities by the United States, uh, whether it's uh, going into Iraq or uh, Afghanistan. Uh, Now that you're a leader and you're probably going to be running, although you won't announce it right now, you're probably going to be running for president of the United States. Can we take a look at that event uh, can you look back on it uh, sort of as an armchair Monday morning quarterback, if you will, and, and talk about how you might, if you run into that situation today, how might you handle it? Or uh, what would you, would you go to war with Iraq, with um, Afghanistan? How would you handle such a situation as if you were president of the United States? So I think in hindsight, it's very easy to make these of things. Course. So clearly we had to go to Afghanistan, knock off the Taliban and, and, and decimate al-Qaeda. I would not have stayed in Afghanistan for what we did. I mean, the idea that we were going to turn that into a democracy, it's just a different culture, and they're they're organized differently. And then I think in Iraq, what I saw there was, you know, you said democracy when Saddam was removed. These are people cozying up with the Iranians. And so we now have a situation where Iraq is basically an Iranian satellite, and Iran has probably been our most significant adversary, certainly in that region, you know, since the Shah fell. So in hindsight, I mean, I, I honor everybody's service because I think they did a, a lot of great things, but in hindsight, 
Has the Middle East gotten better as a result of that? I think Iran's gotten stronger as a result of that conflict. Well, Governor, one of the criticisms that you may come across if you decide to run for president is that you've been running a state, but you haven't had to worry about foreign policy so much. Uh, You just gave some answers on how, in hindsight at least, you might have handled things like um, Iraq and Afghanistan a little differently. And uh, hindsight's 2020, so you have the benefit of that history. But um, let's continue on sort of the foreign policy uh, perspective, Um, because I know you've also been in your service down to Guantanamo. And that's been a contentious issue in the past about who we're holding and how we're holding them and how long we're holding them. Can you Tell us what your perspective was or what you saw when you were down there and and if anything uh, would be different today. Again, if, if you were president, you had to control, what would you be doing different about Guantanamo over the last number of years or moving forward? Well, I, I think that there should have been military commissions. I did support that. Um, but what I saw, because the, you know, there was a media there, but they were being mistreated in Gitmo, what I saw was basically a professionally run prison. And there was different kind of categories. So the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is going to be in like a maximum security. Some of these other guys were like open air, play soccer all day, who were viewed as less of a threat. But what they're trying to figure out is, okay, if we release this person back to Afghanistan, are they going to engage in terrorism against? And that's hard to know definitively. So I think they tended to err on the side of caution. Now, I will say these detainees would all say they all said they're Koran salesmen, like every one of them was a Koran salesman. And that clearly wasn't the case either. So, Governor, you know, a lot of people would say that these are people who have never uh, you know, been tried properly. Uh, evidence presented as to why we think they're terrorists. And they've been down there for years without um, any sort of um, uh, due process, if they're even owed that. But how do you view the fact that people have been down there for years and years and years at this point? It's a tough It's a tough thing when you have uh, a situation with terrorism and war because they're not a nation state. And how they, they, you can't try them, I think, in a civilian court. So you really need military commissions. I actually thought I was going to be involved in military commissions and they really just sputtered. They didn't get off the ground. They should have had those up and running. And it's some due process, but it isn't what you would get in a civilian trial. Well, audience, I hope you're getting a perspective of what's really behind that curtain. If you're not familiar with Governor Ron DeSantis, you don't live in Florida and haven't seen everything that he's been doing to improve the state and to bring conservative principles and common sense, uh, non-dramatic, uh, you know, no, um, no craziness going on in the streets, uh, law enforcement, um, school choices, all those things that many of us see who are here. But I hope you're getting behind the scenes view of what kind of man this is and what he's done and what his heart is and what he's trying to accomplish in helping the people of the state of Florida and what he might be able to do uh, for the people of this country. But stay with us. We're going to take another commercial break and we'll be right back for the last segment of Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, one to two, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from one to two, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. 
patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Healthcare Insight, and today we are talking about in this last segment when we want to wrap up our insights into the man who is Governor Ron DeSantis. He's a leading candidate for Republican nomination for President of the United States, along with ex-president, former president Donald Trump. It could be a real battle of titans out there. They have different personalities, different approaches, very similar policies and um, thought processes in cer- certain ways. But I think Governor DeSantis um, uh, comes at it from a different personality. He's not an attacking person. He's a, a logical, present the facts. He's not flashy uh, like Trump would be, uh, but he gets the job done. His thought process involves conservative, basic, patriotic American principles that many of us are drawn to, and we hope that um, the country gets a chance to know him better and um, and maybe ultimately embrace him for the highest position in this country. But I want to get back and talk to Governor DeSantis about a couple of of issues that are likely to come up for anybody who does run for president. That is the constant attack by the uh, left-wing media, by the mainstream medium. And there's an article out recently from the New York Times that talks about the issue we we referenced in the last segment, that is Guantanamo, and uh, trying to sully his, um, uh, his, his persona to try to lay out a narrative, a negative narrative around Governor DeSantis. Uh, they claim, for example, Governor, that you were in Guantanamo when they were trying to force feed some of the prisoners who were on hunger strike, that you were responsible for this force feeding so that they can sort of create this narrative around such an, an evil person that you might be to force feed somebody who was on a hunger strike. What do you have to say uh, to that kind of a charge, and you know it's going to come uh, faster and more furious around you as you become more well-known and uh, after you make an announcement, they're kind of laying down the predicate already that they'll reference back this article that your opposition, uh, the Democrats, will reference this article by the New York Times and give it some credibility um, and say, well, look, the New York Times even said that he did these terrible things. So what's your response already uh, to that kind of a charge. So I was a I was a junior officer. I didn't have authority to authorize anything. There may have been a commander that would have done feeding if someone was going to die, but that was not something that I would have even had authority to do. So that's that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Governor, sort of staying on the theme of foreign policy experience and experience across the world and how it might have influenced you and your thinking and your patriotism, um, your service to country. Um, you spent some time in Fallujah. Now, many of our audience may not remember how dangerous a situation Fallujah was, that there were horrible things going on over there in the um, in the fog of war. Lots of stuff was happening. How did that experience over there affect you, and um, how did you deal with 
the circumstances that you found yourself in. I think you were there as more of a, a legal advisor to some uh, in trying to handle that, that, that part of the war. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, we had folks all across Al Anbar province. So, like, the headquarters was Fallujah. We had Ramadi, Al-Assad, Haditha, Hit, all these places. And there were operations every night. And, you know, they tend to work at night. And so you're, you're, you're just crazy out one day after another after another for a six, six and a half month period. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of felt honored to, to be there because uh, these were some of our best people uh, that I was able to kind of hitch a, hitch a wagon with. Mm-hmm. And they were making a good difference. By the time we left, there were not Americans dying in Al-Anbar province anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al-Qaeda in Iraq had been crushed. The Anbar awakening had happened. And most of the deaths at that point, probably 90%, were in the Shia areas with the Iranian-backed forces. So so it was a successful deployment, not just our deployment, but the Marines and the Army who were there during that time. Well, Governor, you were working with the SEALs over there. It was a very dangerous time. A very dangerous part of the world. Did, did you personally come under any um, serious um, attack or harm, or were you in any kind of grave danger over there being in the middle of all this? Not anything special. I mean, you know, I would travel from different areas, but what they would do is, like, if you fly it in a helicopter, they would do pitch black at night so that they couldn't, you know, shoot it down with an RPG, but they would not go in the daytime uh, for transport because they were concerned about that. And then the other risk was just being in convoys. And, um, you know, they had done the IEDs at the time, and I never had uh, any of that happen to me, thankfully. Well, Governor, having been in the middle of all that, what's your what's your basic bottom line assessment of um, the military operations that you were involved in over there in Iraq? We could defeat them on the battlefield without even blinking an eye, but that wasn't how they were fighting. They were fighting to try to say, if you're going convoying from Ramadi to, to Fallujah, we're going to try to blow up your convoy. And so it's just kind of like, okay, if the number's called, the number's called. So, Governor DeSantis, let's bring this military um, experience, uh, commentary, sort of understanding what your foreign policy perspective might be. Let's bring it forward to today with the war going on in Ukraine. Um, you've been supportive of that war, but you've also recently called it a territorial dispute, which kind of downplays it a little bit more. Give us your perspective and thoughts on whether or not maybe that was a, a misused statement or wasn't intended to be an understatement of what we should be doing in Ukraine. It doesn't set policy, but it kind of softens, if you will, the idea that uh, this is should not go into a world war, but is a uh, territorial dispute that we can certainly support. But did you regret using that that term at all? I think it's been I think it's been uh, you know mischaracterized. Obviously, Russia invaded that. That was wrong. They invaded Crimea and took that in 2014. That was wrong. What I'm referring to is kind of where the fighting is going on now, which is that western border or eastern border region, Donbas, and then Crimea. And you have a situation where Russia has had that. I don't think legitimately, but they've had. There's a lot of ethnic Russians there. So that's some difficult fighting. And so whatever, the conflict area, that's what I was referring to. And so it wasn't that I thought Russia had a right to that. And so if I should have made that more clear, I could have done it. But I think the larger point is, okay, Russia has not shown the ability to, to take over Ukraine, to, to, to topple the government, or certainly to threaten NATO. That's a good thing. They've been weakened. You now have the fighting in those areas. I just don't think that's a sufficient interest for us to escalate more involvement. I would not want to see, you know, American troops involved there. But the idea that I think somehow Russia was was justified, and that's nonsense. 
Okay, it seems you've made some logical, rational, common sense comments about how Russia does not have a right to come into a sovereign country and try to take over the areas that they uh, in the Donbass area and that they did it in 2014 and kind of got settled in to Crimea. Now, I know in both of the areas that are under dispute and where the fighting is today that there are many uh, Russian-speaking people there. They were part of the uh, previous Soviet Union. Many of them want to be part of uh, the new Russia, if you will. And I think Putin has taken advantage of that perspective and has exaggerated that desire of all the people in those areas to want to come back to Russia. And that certainly that's not true. So does the Ukrainian government have a right to that uh, population and that geographic area as as well, because they held it for a long time and the people uh, were uh, selecting to be part of Ukraine uh, before this all started with the Russian invasion starting in 2014. They have the right to that territory. I just think that's the source of the conflict. It's in those regions, which there's likely going to continue to be a lot of conflict on that going forward. So if I could snap my fingers, I'd give it back to Ukraine 100%. But the reality is, what is America's involvement in terms of escalating with more weapons? And certainly ground troops, I think, would be a mistake. So that was the point I was trying to make. But Russia was wrong to invade. They were wrong to take Crimea. You know, past administrations have tried to uh, make some commentary or change our foreign policy around Russia. And in retrospect, some of it seems almost kind of curious, uh, starting with um, uh, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, taking over a reset button. Uh, to the uh, head of head of Russia, and that never really worked. And then we had the whole Russia, Russia, Russia scandal gate that um, was um, uh, disproven, disproven and never had any uh, real facts behind it. It was all a hoax. It was all an attempt to destroy uh, the foreign policy that Trump wanted to, to implement, not because they thought he was wrong, just because he was Trump. And, um, and and then you have even going back to uh, George um, uh, W. Bush, uh, where he said he looked in his eye, looked in his heart, looked in his soul and and thought he could uh, work with him. Um, that's been happening over and over again. We have misjudged uh, the uh, Russians and um, certainly have misjudged Putin. Uh, so what is your thinking? How do you interpret um, Putin and what his goals and ambitions are at this point? Look, I think he's got grand ambitions. I think he's hostile to the United States. But I think the thing that we've seen is he doesn't have the conventional capability to realize his ambitions. And so he's basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons. And so for us, one of the things we could be doing better is utilizing our own energy resources in the United States. We could be permitting natural gas pipelines from Marshallis, doing a lot in, uh, in in Alaska. That's where he gets all his power, and obviously he's influenced Europe uh, by, by having so much energy. So the way to hit Putin is to hit him with energy. But I do think you look back, all the defense analysts and me in the past – we overestimated his conventional capability. This has been a huge mm. blunder for him, uh, huge costs, and uh, you know we'll see what ends up happening with his longevity and, and, and power. But but this has been a this has been a loss for them. You know, Governor. Even if we could find a solution uh, to the Ukraine conflict with uh, Russia, uh, even after that, there are people who have declared uh, Putin a war criminal. The acts of bombing. Uh, hospitals and destroying cities just outright, indiscriminate bombing of civilians. 
I think the World Court has declared that these are acts of genocide and war crimes. Um, that's going to be a big issue in any relationship between Russia and the rest of the world of whether or not we actually would bring him uh, to trial and what kind of conflicts and continuing conflicts that would occur in Ukraine or other parts of the world. I don't think he's going to give himself up. I don't think he's going to be perk-walked. I don't think he's going to be handcuffed. I don't think he's going to sit beside, uh, you know, in a jury, uh, beside a jury to uh, be charged with uh, war crimes. I think he'll be more desperate than that. So how do you um, think that should be handled uh, once all the war in Ukraine is over and we've got to face the reality of whether or not to charge Putin with war crimes? I mean, I think he is a war criminal. This ICC, we have not uh, done that in the United States because we're concerned about our soldiers or mm. people uh, being brought under it. So I don't know about that rubric, but I do think that, that he should be held accountable. I think it's, it's, I think those regions and the border in Crimea, you know, I think are likely to, uh, uh, to, to be a stalemate for quite some time. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people will end up dying if that's the case. But I do not think it's going to end with Putin being victorious. I do not think the Ukrainian government is going to be toppled by him. And, and I think that's a good thing. Well, audience, there you have it. I hope you have been listening through the whole program. You have a perspective, hopefully. Uh, if you did not have it before, you have new insights as to the man, uh, how he grew up, um, where he went to school and what kind of education he had, what his perspective was coming out of that and what he did as far as military service and uh, what he's done in the state of Florida, the issues that he's focused on, the conservative principles that he's followed. Uh, his whole life pattern seems to be leading up to this leadership uh, capability and position uh, that could run the country, that people could rally around. I think his personality is is perfect for our times. I think he is a uniter, not a divider, and he's been working towards that in the state of Florida with great success. So I hope our audience listening to this can share this kind of message and have some support and background. If the discussion comes up in your own community, in your own friendships, in your own family relationships, and you can find a way uh, to support this man should he decide to run. In any case, um, we will talk more next week on key topics, policy, and issues uh, facing this country. So join us again at America's Web Radio. Uh, this is Ron Bachman signing off for Healthcare Insight. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.